Heavenly Father, we thank you as we get into your word. Lord, we ask that everything that we hear, that we would apply it to us, that we not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers. In Jesus' name, amen. For centuries, the church of Jesus has gathered to remember the final days of his life. Just over this past week, as far as our messenger, we've been going through what has happened over the last week of his life. His final entry into the city, knowing it would be his last. His final uh, meal with his disciples around the table, where Jesus broke uh, bread and poured out wine as a representation of his broken body and shed blood. He, uh, his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, his false trial and false conviction by the chief priests, rulers, and Roman uh, Empire, and by the people. His beating and nailing to a rugged cross to be hung on the hill of uh, Golgotha for all to see. His death on, the, on that cross and then buried in a borrowed tomb. His physical death, uh, his physical body laid there in the tomb. He suffered our punishment in hell, paying for our sins. Nevertheless, as the church has mourned the crucifixion of Jesus, it has, all, it has also celebrated the joy unexplainable of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our Savior did not stay in that tomb. He is risen. Amen? Again, this morning, I want to welcome you on this happy morning as we celebrate Easter together. One of those favorite uh, aspects of Easter for me with my family growing up, and as my parents sit back there, they can testify to this, was the fact that we would have an Easter egg hunt at their house or at my grandma's house or both. We would go around my parents' house. They, they would hide eggs in the living room. They would put them up. Uh, we had a fireplace with rocks. They, they put them up there or in, in the shelves or under chairs or behind tables. At my grandma's house, they would be uh, you know, placed in the, in the trees and the grass and sometimes in her garden. My brother and I, we'd always love uh, going over there searching for them. It was like an adventure for us. We'd always have a competition uh, going on no matter what we were doing. Most of the times, if it was a special holiday and we, and we were getting stuff, we would have the competition. It wasn't the, the fact of the dollar amount because some, uh, some of the eggs may have money, may have you know, chocolate in them or whatever. It was the fact that we wanted the quantity. We wanted to know who had more eggs than the other person. So the other one could have been doing well as far as money-wise, but it didn't really matter because if I had more eggs than you, you lost. We do this on Easter, Christmas, other, even birthdays. We sit there and try to make sure. We made it hard on my parents because they had to go out and try and make sure that the presents were always equal. That we always had the same number of presents. And it could have been like a dollar present that was the difference. But it didn't matter. If they were off, we were mad. Oftentimes when we go around, they'd also take the dyed eggs that, we'd, that, that we just you know, made with them. And we'd go around and we'd find most of those eggs. I say most because we usually find the rest of them about a week or two later. <laughs> Similar to those eggs being opened years ago, many of us come to us, on, uh, you know, come worship this morning on Easter, unaware of what, it, what is meant to be found in the joy of an empty tomb and a risen Savior. How many Easter's have you celebrated? It could have been many, but how many resurrections have you experienced? Some of us have been here year after year. Some of us haven't been here since last Easter. Either way, today could be a chance for an unexpected change in your life. 
But here's the thing. Often, expectation rarely meets reality. That those black licorice jelly beans, they always seem like a good idea until you bite into one. I don't know about you, but I, every time that I, I was like, mm, it seems like a good idea. I did it more than once, so I didn't learn. I was like, well, maybe they've changed since the year before. They didn't. Or you have lunch with all your family after church, and you think, hey, this is going to be a great time, and everyone's going to, you know, but actually everybody shows up. And then there's that one person that brings up either politics or COVID. You know what's going to happen. Everyone, uh, you know, looks their best at Easter so that they can, you know, post them to Facebook. We do have that out there so you can take pictures afterwards. But we all know that you spent probably hours upon hours looking for that perfect, you know, that perfect outfit or clothing that you're going to wear. That there was probably about at least six other options. And we know that our realities rarely live up to our expectations, don't they? These are all funny and lighthearted, but however, the truth is many of us this morning, the expectations we had for our life are falling short. And that, and that has actually been very painful for us. We are thinking to ourselves, I expected my marriage to be going better or look different than what it is. I expected that I was going to stay in remission. By the way, happy birthday, Miss Pat, back there, eight years of being in remission. <laughs> Other one, I expected to be able to retire by now. I expected to have met somebody by now. I expected, and you can sit there and begin to fill in the blanks of I expected all these things to happen, and they haven't. I am convinced that many of us Share, uh, you know, many of us find ourselves this, uh, in this place this morning. In some ways, we feel like life has failed us. And here's the thing. We're not the first. There are two friends that find themselves on that first Easter walking along a long, dusty road from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus. Three days before that morning, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who many had come to believe that was the Messiah, had been crucified. He was dead. And with him died the expectations they had, uh, they had about the chance at a life of freedom. They never saw uh, this ending in death of the one who was going to be their rescue. The realities of Jesus' death were difficult to bear. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter four, uh, 24, starting at verse 13, says this. And behold, two of them uh, went that same day uh, to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three, uh, three score furlongs, about seven miles. And they talked together of all these uh, the things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Here's a man that we find out a few verses later. His name is it's Cleopas. The second person is never named, but many scholars believe that this person is Luke himself. And out of modesty, did not want to name himself in his own gospel. They are walking in the seven-mile stretch recounting what had taken place over the past few days. No matter, no doubt, wondering what, uh, what, how this could have 
have failed. All their hopes and dreams had failed. Wondering if they would face the same fate that uh, face the same fate that Jesus had faced. When all of when all of a sudden they are joined along the road, you would think that at this point, when there's somebody that all of a sudden just pops up out of nowhere, might be a sign, right? Says when all of a sudden they are joined along the road by what should be you know, should have been a, a familiar face. Jesus himself, instead of being overjoyed that somehow Jesus has survived the cross, the Bible says that their eyes were holding that they should not know him. It seems odd, doesn't it, that their eyes, uh, that Jesus did not want them to know who he was at this point. That word holding just means that their, that their, uh, that their sight was, retain, uh, was retained or uh, held fast, that it's... Um, that there's only one other time in Scripture that this is used in a similar way, and that is in Acts 2.24, which says, Whom God hath raised up, having loosened the pangs of death, because it was not possible that death should be holden of him. Death and hell could not hold him. Amen? The, Bible's, uh, the Bible doesn't say why Jesus, why the Lord, held back their eyes that they, w- that they should not know him. We don't know why. But many, uh, many of you know how difficult it is to see clearly and think clearly in the midst of grief. Nevertheless, who, uh, what is true for Cleopas and Luke may be true for us today. Why? Because life's failures hold back or cloud our view of Christ. Whatever happens in life, when, we get, when life hands us a curveball, what ends up happening to us, we don't necessarily think rationally because we're in the midst of grief. We don't, uh, we don't want to see clearly, you know, at, at some points, you're like, you don't understand what I'm going through. I would rather be irrational than think about this rationally. Maybe your life circumstances have made you feel like that you're all alone. Maybe it has uh, made you question the love of God. However, this story suggests that just because we do not recognize, notice, or acknowledge Jesus, it does not mean that he is not there. Perhaps on this Easter morning, you can relate to Cleopas and Luke. You have had the sense for a long time that you have been walking this road of life and the expectations that you had, uh, you had uh, for how things should go have not been met. You feel like life, or maybe even God, has failed you, and to you, it may feel like death. You have felt that you are walking alone. And though you have cried out for answers, God is nowhere to be found. How, how, here is what I'm convinced of. It is possible to feel abandoned and left alone, and all the while Jesus is walking with you. Our circumstances can change, but God's presence does not. Cleopas and Luke thought it over. They thought it was finished. However, like an American novelist once wrote and once said, there will come a time when you believe everything is finished. That will be the beginning. We cannot sit there and and allow life's failures to cloud our view of Christ. 
Let's look at uh, verses 17 through 24. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye, had, uh, that ye have uh, one to another, as ye walk and are sad? And the, one, uh, and the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast thou uh, uh, not known the things which are come to pass in the, uh, there in these days? So he's basically asking him, he says, Don't you realize what has happened over the past few days? Like, do you have your head in the sand? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty, Indeed, and in word before the uh, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and, and our rulers delivered him uh, to be condemned to death and have crucified him, but when uh, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel, and beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished which were early at the sepulcher. And when, they, and when they found not his body, they came saying that, uh, the, that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that, which said that he is alive. And certain of them which were uh, with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. I love this, this picture that Jesus, uh, that Jesus has painted it in these verses. After being dead for three days, wouldn't you think that Jesus would kind of come up to him and say, hey, I'm not dead, I'm alive? However, the scriptures say that these two spoke with him, but they were sad. They are brokenhearted, crushed. Jesus could have said, hey, it's me. However, he does not. Jesus could have been, uh, Jesus could have been like, I've been telling you this for three years, how this would all end, and you missed it. Instead, he listens to their hurts. Instead, he asks them questions. What are you discussing? And what things have happened? In light of these circumstances, Jesus invites them to voice their, uh, their cause for despair. He invites them to honesty. You see, we live in a culture nowadays where, all, uh, where honesty is as a sign of weakness. Look at our politics. Most people have, uh, have a negative view of politicians, don't they? It used to be lawyers, but then the lawyers became politicians. Look at our professional sports. You'll have somebody arrogant and cocky, and they say, well, that's, you know, that they're just confident in themselves. No, they're lying about themselves. That's what they're doing. Too often, we reward dishonesty. There's a reason why professional athletes get paid millions of dollars. Because we go see them. There's a reason why politicians make millions of dollars, but I'm not going to get into that this morning. We are conditioned this way, aren't we? Especially on a day like today, a holy celebration, when everyone comes in their finest clothing, they put on their smiles, and they take pictures and pretend like everything is okay. Right? When the truth is, for many, not everything is good. For many, a brokenness exists that we have been taught we, should, uh, we cannot and should not show the world. 
So instead of naming it or identifying it, we push it down, put a smile on, and act like everything is fine. I think what we see in Jesus in this interaction is his patience. This verse is a picture of the passage elsewhere in Scripture that states that God is close to the brokenhearted because love listens. Love listens to them. Jesus listens to them. It was love, it was his love for people that held him to the cross. It was his love for people that rose him up from the grave. It was his love that caused him to walk along the road with them and hear their hearts. His love never failed them from the beginning to the end. What we need to realize is that the Bible says that if there are 99 that are saved and there is one out there that is not, he's going to go after the 99 and leave the saved. Why? Because his love compels him to go for one more. His love says, you know what, I need to go get that one more. Are you that one more this morning that he is seeking after? I want to tell you this. It's probably not, not a shot to you, not a shot to my wife, not a shot to my parents. I am probably one of the most impatient people on the planet. I'm the kind of person that buys a birthday gift for someone and wants to give it to them three days early. Just because I don't want to wait. I want to see their reaction. I want to see what's going to go on. I mean, think about this. I actually just bought my wife a pre-Mother's Day present. Like a month in advance and gave it to her already. It's not even three days. It's a month in advance. There are times when my, uh, when my wife will want to talk to me about her frustrations that she may have. Now, if you're a husband like I am, which I'm guessing you're not too many in here, I want to fix it right away. We get in eight words, we'll get in a few words in, and I'm already interrupting with, right? So here's what you're going to do. She has to remind me, I am not asking you to fix this. I'm asking you to listen. I have found that there is incredible value in, in having someone who will simply listen to us. And that's how the Lord is, is that he will simply, you, could ha you can rant and rave and everything else, and the Lord will listen until you're done. I don't know about you, but there's been times where I, I found myself praying, but I'm more complaining, and the Lord's just listening. And then in his... His kind way, he'll just say, are you done? Are you finished? And then, he'll get, uh, and then he will show himself faithful. Jesus knows that there is value in us trying to get out. He, we, need to speak, uh, we need to speak our pain, voice our struggles. She's voicing her struggles. Aren't you, aren't, you, aren't you just glad that there are children in church? Because as I said before, the thing is, is that we, I've seen people get mad and angry when there's a child in church. Like, the child is really going to listen, you know, like, and usually every time that I've tried to, like, get a child to, like, calm down, they just, they're like, no, no, I'm going to make this even worse. But the thing is, is that if you don't have children in the church, you don't have the next generation. You don't, have, you don't have babies, you don't have the next generation. So, uh, 
If you think, you know, and that's the thing is, I see people that turn around and be like, well, did you quiet that child? And I'm guaranteeing the parents in and of themselves, if they're like me, they're going, I'm trying my best. All right. Jesus over here, you know, just, you voicing your concerns? Yeah, you are. All right. Just keep on doing what you're doing. It's all right. You what? Yeah, that's what it is. She wants to go play the drums again. But what we need to do is we need to speak our pain to the Lord. We need to voice our struggles. He invites us not to be afraid to tell him how we feel. Most of the time, especially for men, it's, it's extremely hard because society and culture tells us that we cannot tell people how we feel. That we cannot say, I don't like that. I'm not saying that you just all of a sudden just, I mean, maybe you need this. Maybe you do need to be like, just let everything out and you're like a blubbering mess and everything else because you've been holding it in for so long, you know, so long. But in society nowadays, it's looked at as a weakness, but like, okay, pull it together, get it together. And you're like, I don't want to. I just want to let it just everywhere, just uh, let it go. He invites, like I said, he invites us to not be afraid to tell him how he feels. He said, he said what are you discussing? What things have happened? Do we think that Jesus didn't know what happened to him and why they're walking, why they're having these problems, you know, why they're having this discussion? No, he's wanting them to voice what, what emotions that they're having, what's going on in their life. Not only do we not walk alone, you have a Savior who is inviting you to vulnerability. So tell him about your pain, your frustration, your disappointment with how your reality has not met your expectations. He is not intimidated by this. In fact, he welcomes it because love listens. Let's look at verses 25 through uh, 27, which says this. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe, uh, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have, uh, uh, to have suffered these things and to enter uh, into his glory? And, beginning of, uh, and at the beginning of Moses... And all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now we can look at this beginning part and you go, he just asked them to voice their opinions and then he says, oh you fools. You're like, I'm not going to be sharing my feelings if you're going to be calling me a fool or you're going to be calling me names now or whatever. But what we need to realize, after listening for a time, Jesus speaks up and like I said, the word fool does not imply like a reproach. It doesn't, you know, as the word fool among us is. It was actually, uh, it, is, it was not an expression of contempt. It was actually an expression denoting merely that they were thoughtless. They weren't thinking things through. Oftentimes as we're going through grief, what are we? We could be considered thoughtless because why? We're not putting everything together. We only have one thing in mind. And they don't realize how to properly attend to the evidence that he had to die. And he had to raise from the dead. He told them this for three years, over and over again. He's like, you're not thinking clearly. You're not thinking about what's going on, you know, in, in what I have told you. You see, Jesus realizes as he walks along with them and, and talks with them that they had interpreted the scriptures, the prophets, and all that had come about incorrectly. They had mistakenly thought that to redeem Israel meant that finally the ones who had power or who had the power for a long time would be overthrown. They were looking for a, an earthly revolution. They were thinking, here comes our king, 
and he's about ready to start a revolution, and the Roman Empire is not going to be anymore. But Jesus doesn't do that. He's not speaking of a worldly revolution. He's speaking of the fact of changing and transforming us individually. They want power for themselves. But the thing is, is that, and that was redemption to them. However, like us, we can see life, we can see the Lord in a wrong light. Jesus opens up the scriptures to them. It says that he explains once again the word of God. And these were ones that knew the Bible backwards and forward. If you know anything about uh, those in the, uh, in the Old Testament, they were, at this time, their education was, you memorize the Old Testament. For a lot of us, I want to say all, but for a lot of us, how many of us have memorized the entire Old Testament or even a short book of the prophets? And so he has to explain to them again what the Word of God says. A person once said that, like everyone in Israel, they have been reading the Bible through the, through the wrong telescope. They had been seeing, uh, seeing it as a long story of how God would redeem Israel from suffering. But instead, the story of how God would redeem Israel through suffering. His suffering and death. No matter, no matter what, they were confused by the death of their Messiah. That is not how it was supposed to go. Anytime that we think that there's somebody that's going to help us or anything else, the last thing that we're, we're thinking is, is that somebody's going to come along and kill that person so that way they can't help you anymore. That, we know that how things in life, that's not how it's supposed to go, but that's how it was supposed to go. This is what unfailing love looks like. Maybe some of the reasons many of us have, have found ourselves disappointed by God and feel like he has failed us is because we mistakenly thought that being a Christian meant that everything in life would go perfectly. How many of you know that if you've been a believer for any period of time, life is still not going to go perfectly for you? But we have a perfect Savior, amen? We would avoid all the, we think to ourselves that we would avoid all the pitfalls and frustrations of life. And many, I know, think that they can live one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of the world, only to find out that that doesn't work at all. We either are all in or we're all out. So they decided to give up on the idea of Jesus. So you may have decided to give up on that idea of Jesus and live for yourself anyways. However, when, when uh, what Jesus is explaining along this dusty road is that the, uh, the, ways, uh, the way things truly change beyond the circumstantial to the eternal is not through power, but through sacrifice. The way of the Christian is not the way of authority and precision. It is the way of humility and self-giving love. The scriptures paint a picture of Jesus who gives everything to offer us life. And he invites us to give up everything to find that life, to find that life that he offers. As we look at the, uh, the remaining verses of what I'm going to talk about this morning, they have covered those seven miles between Jerusalem and Emmaus. Verse 28, And they drew nigh unto the village 
whither, uh, whither they went. And he made as though he would have uh, gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is uh, far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he uh, sat, at, uh, sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and, uh, and while he opened to us the scriptures? How would you like to be sitting there having a conversation with someone, realize who it is, and then they're gone? As they uh, got closer to the village to which uh, they were traveling, Jesus acts as, as if he would uh, continue, but, uh, but they, Cleopas and, and Luke, urge Jesus to stay with them. Jesus comes inside, and they begin to have a meal together. Jesus breaks bread uh, from the table, and he breaks it. And it is at that moment that their eyes are opened, and they see him for the first time. This moment that we see here mirrors another moment at the beginning of the Bible. You see, Easter is actually about two meals. The first meal took place with the first couple in the Bible, Adam and Eve. Eve eats of the fruit from the, uh, from the tree they were forbidden to eat from. The food was taken, and death came in. She gives it to her husband, who also eats. The scriptures say that their eyes are open, and they become ashamed. This meal was a moment of rebellion, which led to a long-standing curse. You, myself, and all of creation became, to, uh, became subject to decay and sorrow. Death became our new nature. However, Around this table, we see a second meal take place among friends, Cleopas and Luke. Sharing broken bread, and their eyes are opened. What they see is that the curse is now broken. Ironically, it is through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the broken body and shed blood, that death itself was defeated. Amen? These two, uh, these two friends, uh, friends now brimming with life, joy, and new possibilities right in the midst of a broken world. Their eyes were opened to this new world that God was making uh, new through his unfailing love and the sacrifice of his son. It's amazing how a person who could have, uh, have ideas and thoughts in their mind, and all of a sudden, in a moment, in an instant, all those things can change. I know for myself that I went from death to life. And the reason why I can say that is because of the fact before I gave my life to the Lord. My life, you know, seemed like I was, I was at the end of my rope. Literally. I would sit and drive home from work and contemplate how I would kill myself. I would look at trees and say, if I hit that one just right, I probably could kill myself. Or if I do this, or do this, or do that, I could probably do it. And there was a thought in my mind that kept coming across and saying, you know what, even if you do that, you probably wouldn't do it right. And all you're going to do is have your mom and your dad sitting there worrying about you for the rest of, the, uh, rest of your life while you sit in a bed as, as a vegetable. And I had those thoughts over and over and over again. But I had a friend who invited me to church, who invited me to youth group. I didn't accept Christ right away. 
It took about eight months or so. But in that time, I began to learn about God's word. And in that time, in August of 1998, I gave my life to Christ. And I'll tell you this. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I honestly could tell you that I went outside and everything looked brighter to me. The trees looked greener. The, blue, uh, the, the skies looked bluer. I mean, everything about me was brand new. I had people ask me, what was so wrong with your old life? Why do you have to be religious zealot? Why do you have to go to church every Sunday and every Wednesday? Why do you have to do this? Isn't your life okay just the way it is? And they had no idea because the thing is, is that our life, we oftentimes, whatever is going on, we will try and keep it down inside of us because we don't want anybody to know the pain that we feel. And I responded back to them. I said, you want me to go back to my old life? And they said, what, why? What was the problem with your old life? And I said, because... I said, I could go back to that, you know, and, and, and I want to, you know, kill myself again like I wanted to. All of a sudden, everything changed. Why? Because I was able to share with them something that I hadn't shared with anybody. And I said, but I don't want to go back. The thing is, I can't go back. Why? Because God has saved me. God has changed me. God has transformed me. He has given me new life. I passed from death unto life. And the thing is, is that that's available for anybody in this room. I'm not special because all of a sudden I'm standing behind a pulpit. There are ones in this room that have similar stories that could tell you about how their life was beforehand. And the thing is, those same people that had asked me, what was so wrong with your old life? How come you don't want to be, you know, be how you were? Those same people now are saved. God can change you, but he can also change your entire family. God can change your friends and your influence, and those enemies that were once enemies can now be your friends. Why? Because God has an amazing ability to change things, to, to, to go from mourning to dancing. I'll tell you that right now, that I am not making this up. If you know, you can ask my parents, they know this story. They know this. God can change you. And you say, well, you know what? My life's not as bad as his. It does not matter. If your life is worse than mine, we're not comparing. Or your life is better than mine, or whatever. I always used to sit there in church, and some people would say, you know, I grew up in church in my entire life. I wish I had a testimony like you. And I said, no, you don't. They said, well, I never went through all this stuff. I had to go out into the world and experience the world, basically, in order to have a testimony like you. I said, no, you don't. You have the best testimony because you didn't have to go through it. Why would you want to put yourself in one of those situations? You see, Easter is not about a resurrection from the dead someday. After we have escaped the corruption of this world, it's about being made new right now. It's about being born again right now. God can change you and transform you this morning. His love will never fail you. And knowing the fact that you can be saved right at this moment and that nothing can ever change that. Nothing can change that. That you can be saved now. The Bible says that you may know that you are, that you have eternal life, that you are saved. It's about experiencing the resurrection power of, uh, of, of him in your life today. Jesus can make us, can make you new right now. 
It's not a matter of waiting. I've heard so many people say, well, when I get my life straight, when I get my life right, when I'm like in my mid-20s and have a couple of kids, then I'll begin to go to church and all sort of stuff, or I'll begin to wait. And the thing is, is that those same people are still waiting. Because what ends up happening? The excuses come. Everything in life is going to come at you to tell you, you don't need to go to church this week. You don't need to go to church this week. You don't need to go to church this week. You say, I'll go next week. I'll go next week. Here's the thing. In this moment where Jesus is making all things new in their life, he's gone just like that. I love what they say to one another. They look at one another and say, did not our hearts burn within us? While, uh, while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures. I want to ask you, when was the la- oh, your last time that your heart burned within you? When was the last time that you truly felt alive? This account is not about a Savior who died a long time ago. It's about a Savior who is very much alive. He meets us along the roads of life, and he opens our eyes to his love that never fails. So many people think, I need to get my life right before I give my life to the Lord. That's backwards. You need to give your life to the Lord so he can clean up your life. What Easter offers all of us is to be made new. No matter what your life has been like uh, uh, until now, no matter how much disappointment you have experienced, no matter how much you have failed, you are offered a fresh start through Jesus' death, and resurrection, and his unfailing love. When you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are saved. Why? Because his love never fails. He always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. For those of you this morning, you say, you know what, I want to know, I want to understand, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ this morning. I'm going to lead you down a road. The Bible says, uh, I want to ask you this question actually first. How are you going to respond to the fact of what you've heard this morning? How are you going to respond to that? The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short or come short of the glory of God. All of us have. So if you think that the person sitting next to you or the one in the back of you or in front of you or the one that's behind this pulpit hasn't sinned, the Bible says, for all have sinned. And if I were to sit here and say that I've never sinned, I'd, lie, I'd be lying to you. And because we've all sinned, and we come short of that glory of God, in Romans 6.23 it says, For the wages of sin is death. So because we've all sinned, that wage that we would get like a job, here's our payment, death. And this is not just a, a physical death, it's a spiritual death. Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, it says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Romans, or sorry, Revelation 21, verse 8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, and you're going, Hey, so far I'm good. I have not hit that point yet. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I, as I said before, I think everyone in here has told a little white lie, haven't they? It says all liars, 
You can call it a fib. You can call it whatever. The flat, you know, the flat-out truth is, it's a lie. I read to you the beginning part of Romans 6.23 earlier. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but here's the second part of it. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We don't have to go to hell. God does not want you to go to hell. Jesus does not want you to go to hell and suffer for all of eternity. The only way that we can receive this is through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So here's the thing. It is you are saved through, uh, by grace through faith. And the reason why is because there's so many people out there that say, Well, Lord, didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I not do this in your name? Did I not do this? And he said, he, said, he will say to you, Depart from me, for I never knew you. It is by faith that you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commandeth his love uh, toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So while you're out sinning, while you're out doing all your stuff, all you're doing all these things, what does it say? He still died for you. He knew you were going to, and he still died for you. Now, how many people do you know in your life, in your family or your friends, that you can go out and disrespect them, spit, you know, spit upon them, do everything with your life that basically is against them, and they say, you know what, I'm still going to die for you? Here's some of the things that we need to also realize, is that he lived a sinless life. And like we talked about this morning, that he died upon the cross, he was buried, and he rose on the third day. He is God in the flesh. This is, like I said earlier, this is something that's really easy to understand. John 3.16, one of the most famous Bible verses that is out there, says it plainly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever, what, believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's plain and simple. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and what? And you shall be saved. That's what we're going to see here in Romans 10. It says this, that if... Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth uh, confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We make it way too difficult. I know for the first several times, you know, after I got saved, I messed up, and I had to go in my mind, nobody told me this, in my mind, I was like, I have to go to a certain spot in the carpet, because that's where he met me the first time, so that's where he's going to meet me the second time, and the third, but you know you can meet God anywhere, right? And the thing is, is that when we give our life to Jesus Christ, he says, well, you're saved. Now that you're going to be saved in the future, you are saved at that moment. And you have eternal life. So if that's you this morning, you say, you know what, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I just ask that every, uh, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to, this prayer that I'm going to pray, that I'm, asking, I'm going to ask you to repeat, there's nothing special about this prayer. But what it is, is the fact of, what does it say in there? That, it is with the heart that man believes unto righteousness. You must believe. You must have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, 
if you repeat it and don't mean it, doesn't mean a thing. You're not saved. But if you say, you know what, I believe this with all my heart, then you are saved. You can walk out of this room knowing that you're saved. I would suggest that as I get ready to pray this, and if you uh, truly believe upon the Lord, if you don't have your own home church, you're more than welcome to join us here, learn about the Bible. And we, uh, and we want you to grow in the, in, in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Like I said, if you want to pray that prayer, repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I know I deserve to go to hell. But I believe that you died on the cross for me and rose again 